Hello and welcome back to Control Alt Delete. My guest today is the wonderful author Louise O'Neill. Today we're discussing her brilliant new book, Idol, a riveting, darkly delicious story that interrogates our relationship with the internet and our internet heroes, asking how well we can ever really know someone online and the gurus that we look up to and their carefully curated profiles. To give you an idea of the book's blurb before you listen to this episode where we talk a little bit about the book, but don't worry, no spoilers, here is a little bit about it. The book is about an influencer called Samantha Miller and to her young fans, she's an oracle telling them how to live their lives, how to be happy, how to find and honour their truth. And her career is booming. She hits 3 million followers. One of her books has gone straight to the bestseller charts and she's appearing at sellout events. Determined to speak her truth to her adoring fan base, she writes an essay about her sexual awakening as a teenager with her female best friend, Lisa. Now she's telling the world and the essay goes viral. But then, years since they last spoke, Lisa gets in touch to say that she doesn't remember the situation that way at all, and her memory of that night is far different and much darker. So it's Sam's word against Lisa's. Who gets to tell their story? Whose truth is really a lie? So if that's not enough to make you want to read the book, I don't know what is. It is written with Louise's signature style, reminding me of her much-applauded book, Asking Frit, a novel that came out in 2015 about the life-shattering impact of sexual assault. And it was published to widespread critical acclaim. It spent 52 weeks in the Irish top 10 bestseller list, and Idol has just also hit the bestseller charts too. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I absolutely love the book. I love talking to Louise. She's so smart. We always have so much to talk about together. Here is the episode. You came on Control Not Delete when it was a little baby podcast and I was on a weird Skype call with you. So uh, I know, but I was saying you were such a trendsetter. Like that was 2015, I think, or 2016. And you were doing it all virtually. Did you start this? <laughs> Emma, are you responsible for Zoom? <laughs> Am I responsible for the pandemic? Yeah. Um, no, that was so lovely of you to do it because it was, you know, it, it was so new at the time. So for you to have, you know, spoken to me on that was so special. And here we are again. Oh, and wow. so much has happened in between those years. Yeah. And I've been fortunate to see you and catch up with you. But it's so, it's just such a treat to be in person with you. I know. So thank I know. you. Of course. And no longer like a baby podcast I know we're going to have a fancy booth now um, but I, there's so much I want to talk to you about and I'm really excited to dig into so many meaty topics I feel like you're the queen of delivering this incredible novel that is you know the, the book you can't put down when you're on the sun lounger or when you're just ignoring your family like getting into a book again but also then you're sparking all these conversations off the back of it. And you're so good at that. And it means that in our modern life, we have the means to talk about it. Mm. So thank you, first of all, for your incredible novels. Oh, I love thank you. them. Thank you. I mean, I often, you know, when people say to me, what do you think makes a good book? I always say there's sort of three things I look for, like a really good hook. So like a really good story, that the writing is beautiful and that it has something to say Um and I suppose, I don't know about the writing being beautiful, that's for other people to decide, but I suppose that, that I do try and I suppose have that really good hook and then also feel like I have something to say as well. I, I think that's exactly what you do. Like, I finish the book and I'm I'm not done talking about it, basically. Mm. I'm not done with it. And yeah. I just, I love that about you and your work. So yeah, there's tons I want to talk to you about, but I did want to start off with Idol that's mm. just come out and the cover itself is just like, oh my God, need to read. But <laughs> can we talk about Samantha Miller, the, the main mm -hmm. character, because I read somewhere that she came to you 
straight away Mm. and she's quite something Mm. oh yes well Samantha Miller is this American wellness guru um, and she is very beautiful you know sort of macrobiotic diet gym honed um, incredibly almost dangerously charismatic I think um, really has found a way I suppose to almost manipulate the world um, to her will um, and calling it like the law of attraction Um, and I suppose you know I've really been into New Age spirituality for a very long time. Like I think often when people hear about idol, they sort of assume that I'm coming to this from a cynical place or that I'm coming to this from like, I don't know, a position of scepticism. But I've actually, as I said, been very invested um, in this probably since I was a teenager. Um, I've been a very devout child. Um, and then I think my relationship with Catholicism soured, um, you know, sort of in the late 90s, early 2000s when the sex abuse scandals and sort of revelations about the Magdalene laundries and the mother and baby institutions were um, being revealed. Um, so I suppose New Age spirituality almost like filled that gap. Um, and I follow a lot of these gurus online. And I suppose during the pandemic, I was probably in a pi- prime position to notice that a lot of them started posting you know, quite outlandish conspiracy theories about the pandemic. And, um, and I think as well, sort of noticing how very few of them seem to be able to interrogate their own privilege. Um, and I don't know, particularly I suppose their white privilege and, you know, all of these things. Uh, so, yeah, so this was then the idea for this very white, very blonde, very uh, beautiful uh, influencer came to me. And that was how Samantha Miller was born. Mm-hmm. She is... As you said, she is quite something. She has to be read, I think, to be believed. Yeah, she is, but she's so real. Yeah, I mean, someone described um, Samantha Miller as <laughs> Patrick Bateman meets Anna Wintour, which really made me laugh. Yeah. Um, uh, but I think you're right. I suppose she is in that kind of grand tradition of like of scammers, um, even though I suppose the the interesting thing is that Samantha does not think of herself as a con artist or a scammer like she so much of her sense of who she is is predicated on this idea of I am a good person like that is you know kind of repeated throughout the novel um, she really believes in the work she's doing she really believes that she is helping her girls as she calls them recover and heal um, and you know self-actualize and uh, like she thinks she's doing good in the world and actually I think that makes her more interesting than maybe than someone who sets out to con people? Yes, definitely. And I find it fascinating, the triangle of when someone can be a perpetrator, they can also feel like they're a victim Mm -hmm. and like how, how close... That those two things can be, and how mm. the line can be so blurred. Mm. And mm. you are you you are so great at coming at things from all those angles where we're not sure what's going on. Yeah. And yeah. then obviously by the end we kind of know more. But also something that was really interesting to me was the fact that I think you portrayed how vulnerable a lot of women are at the moment who go to these events. Mm. You know, the millennial woman with the tote bag. I was one of those twenty-something yeah. women where I would go to these events and I would put people on a pedestal. Mm. I feel lucky in a way that I've met quite a lot of people who I think I put on those pedestals. I know. And I could look behind the curtain now. Yeah. But when you go to those events, you really do think someone could solve your problem. And yeah. that's that's the the nature of the internet, isn't it? We yeah. think everyone's a guru. And I suppose as well, you know, I remember when I was first, you know, meeting with publishers and sort of discussing the book and, and talking about Samantha Miller. And I said, I, what you really need to understand is that in my 20s, I would have been in, f- in a front row at mm. one of these events. Um, I was really struggling with um, an eating disorder um, and mental health issues. And try, I think I really wanted like a sort of a St. Paul on the road to Damascus, like 
instant healing, instant conversion, you know. Um, and I did everything. Like I did past life regression. I did angel healing. I did aura readings. And I did, you know, I mean, some of the more like, you know, Reiki and, and acupuncture, which, you know, I think are, are, are pretty valid. But like I sort of tried every kind of uh, alternative modality because I really wanted to heal. But I suppose in a funny way was... I didn't want to maybe do what I think is the only way really to heal, which is consistent work. You know, like it, it's it's going to therapy. It's 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 sort of kind of I don't know chipping away at it, um, little by little. And I suppose with Samantha, um, in Idol, like w- with her girls, they really see her as this conduit to the life that they want, the life of recovery, of wealth of of joy of success you know because she has such she's so incredibly successful um and they sort of see her as the answer and i think that when her life begins to unravel um and which we'll, we'll i'm sure we'll get into um and when the you know when these allegations against her are leaked they feel utterly betrayed um and i think there's something very I don't know, there's something so complex about those parasocial um, relationships where that we have with people online. And I think we all have them. Like, I'm sure that if you talked to someone who we think is like, like we would see as being really famous, that they would say, I'm obsessed with Beyonce or, you know, whatever. Like, I feel like ever it's always Beyonce. She's sort of the top, you know. But I feel like that no matter, I suppose, what level of, of fame or, or um, how public facing your job is, I suppose that I think we all have these very odd relationships with people that we follow online that we there's a there's a it affords a level of intimacy I think that is often not actually um based on any reality it's so true and also interestingly I know you said at the beginning that this wasn't a sort of uh zeitgeisty necessarily book in like oh I'm going to write this now yeah because um you referenced I think in an article we don't have to go into it in detail but that Lena Dunham Mm -hmm. when she had come out with a, a line in her memoir that was sort of could be taken a few different ways yes um she had a real big moment of cancellation in quotes on Twitter and it was interesting how can kind of mobs can form for mm-hmm. her and against her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what really struck me with that is that it's it was the exact same words on the page, and that the way in which people read it and the way in which people interpreted that was so wildly different. And I mean, I think we all do read sort of through the prism of our own experiences and our own uh, ideologies, I suppose you know. But it 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 really stayed with me. Do you know that kind of sense of that as I said that idea and I suppose in the years since that happened I think that was 2015 I suppose in the years since with with Trump and, and alternative facts and, and, and this is my truth and um, but and, and this is your truth and well if it's not the truth then what's the point I think all of those ideas were kind of um, percolating um, and I was I don't know I suppose I was just thinking about them very deeply um, and then it all came out an idol yeah and not to give any spoilers away obviously and you know people listening you know go and read this book and then <laughs> literally do a book club with all your friends because there's so much to talk about oh I think there'll be a lot of arguments in book clubs for yeah. in a good way I think a lot you of know? white wine being spilled yeah because yeah. you talk about as well and and this is what I've read of you talking about it but that instead of cancel culture you could call it consequences mm-hmm. culture mm-hmm. and the fact that what I found really interesting even with the me too movement was like people kind of being shocked in a way that their behaviour pre-internet was being held up to account. I suppose there has been so much conversation around cancel culture and you know you I often think with with cancel culture the only people that it really seems to impact and have long-term consequences for 
unfortunately are like members of more marginalized communities. Um, I think that if you're white enough and straight enough and powerful enough and wealthy enough, you're almost uncancelable, you know, and that there will always be a road back. There's a line in Idol where um, someone tells Samantha, you know, just go back to New York and live your life. You know, you're the the you'll 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 you're you're rich. You know, the only thing these people can't forgive is poverty, and and I think there is actually a real truth in that. And you know, we even just saw there with Louis C.K. You know, he just won a Grammy for best um, comedy album, um, and you just think, okay, but who is getting cancelled? And and so often, I think at the moment we will see people talking about their cancellation while giving an interview to the Guardian or while being on BBC Breakfast, or and you just feel like saying, how are you being silenced when you have been given a national platform with which to express your views? Um, and and look, I think anyone with an online following, no matter how big or small, is always afraid of saying the wrong thing or hurting someone's feelings. And, and it's not a pleasant experience to be called out online. Um, but I suppose I think there's a difference between legitimate criticism and being trolled or abuse. And I suppose I think Samantha maybe has a difficult time sort of being able to differentiate between the two. Yeah, for sure. I mean, not to segue into your into you and your personal social media use um, <laughs> too much, but I did find it fascinating that you came off Twitter yes. in like 2018 because yes. I think I remember being like, Louise, where are you? I, I wanted to tweet <laughs> you a joke or something. And I was like, she's gone. But I remember having so much respect for you in that moment. Yeah. And also I feel like that was a trendsetting moment because mm. everyone's doing that now, you know, but at the time I felt like that was a, quite a big deal. Yeah. And um, I, I, we, I said this to you earlier, but like I just loved um, Disconnected. I feel like you're really tapping into something, you know, um, because I think everyone is trying to find out trying to find a way to use social media in a way I suppose that you're harnessing the benefits because there obviously are incredible benefits you know I know that I've been exposed to voices and experiences and stories that I definitely wouldn't have been otherwise and it's been an, an, I mean an amazing vehicle for social change in particular but there is a lot of I suppose I mean, we know the implications it has for our mental health um, and I think in 2018 I just felt really tired and I also felt like there was this real demand on people to have an opinion on everything. Mm -hmm. You know, like if something happened, you sort of had to have an opinion immediately. And if you didn't tweet anything, then it, it signified your indifference, you know. Um, and often I was like, I just want to take some time to actually do some reading about this. I don't know as much about this as I would like to. And and I don't know, it, it felt like it was too, I mean, fast paced is the wrong word. It was almost like eating its own tail. Um, mm -hmm. And I mean, for the first couple of weeks of coming off, it was so difficult. Like the only way I can describe it is if you've ever come off coffee or sugar or cigarettes, like that physical urge and, you know, like the muscle memory of even like I'd pick up my phone and like my finger would instantly kind of go to, like my thumb would instantly go to like where the app used to be. And then I just kind of had to sit with it um, and allow it to like that craving sort of to subside um, and they did they did I mean sometimes I still miss it but like only when you know when everyone's reading an article or and everyone's talking about it I'm like oh, I, I'd love to know whatever like the smart funny people are saying on Twitter but my partner has taken it over for me now um, and he tweets just kind of book stuff so I'd say it's a very boring <laughs> I'm not like I'm not urging anyone to go follow my Twitter because I'd say it's quite boring right now but um, 
I don't know. It's just it's it's given me a lot of mental freedom, to be honest, and not having to not having to deal with it. That's so good, and yeah. such a good middle ground actually to have it still existing. As you yeah. know, because I feel like that's the question at the moment. Is you know, I posted something the other day about you know, do you feel like you're scaling back on your social media use to my newsletter mm. followers? And a lot of people were like it's kind of a luxury in a way yeah. to step back as yeah. in they were like I've got a small business or I've got this yeah. and I've got that and and you know for a lot of authors maybe you don't want to delete it because it is part of the the brand yeah or you have that audience you know and and I think sometimes like particularly it obviously goes very quiet in between books and maybe with my columns like he'll tweet that but yeah, you're right. Like, you, you know, you're like, well, there's, there are, you know, I think it's 34,000 people and you're like, okay, well, it's not, it would be nice that those might see, oh, there's a new book out or, you know, whatever. Um, But I just didn't want to have to deal. I just found it so addictive. Like, I think with Instagram, which I'm still on, um, and I have like an, a Facebook page, which I mean, uh, I'm not 60, so I haven't looked at it in about, you know, like two years. Um, But I think with the, uh, uh with Instagram, I never found it as... I never found it as compelling. I think because I loved words and I loved writing and I love, you know, I just really enjoyed that. Whereas with Instagram, sometimes I'm like, oh, okay, you know, it, it just doesn't have the same draw for me. Um, so I think I'm better able to manage it. Um, so yeah, it's just been, but yeah, Twitter, oh, fair lot, farewell, farewell Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm inspired. A lot of people I know have left and they never look back. Yeah. So that, you know, is literally like, come with me, leave. And I'm like, I'm, I'm about to. <laughs> but I do agree with you that it is a luxury. Like I do think it's sort of an, a, a bit simplistic maybe to say everyone should leave. And it's like, well, actually for, as you said, for people, it's probably an essential tool for their business. And you kind of have to be, you have to be aware of that. But I remember when like, the trolling was particularly bad in let's say 2016 after asking for it came out and I was talking a lot in the Irish media in particular about um, about rape culture and consent and um, sexual violence and it just it, it, it was it became very frightening and I remember my father saying to me just turn off your phone it's not real just turn off your phone and it's in a way he was right and in a way he was wrong you know because it, it did feel so real um, and it felt actually quite frightening um, after a while and made me feel really unsafe even in my in my house and you know things like that um, but I suppose he was also right in that he said to me because he's such a hard worker like you know they my parents own a butcher shop and he works like very long hours and and he would say to me he'd say you know at least when I come home my my day is done he said but because you're on your phone all the time he said it just feels like you never ever get a, a break that you never get time off like when does your day end um, and it's funny because those are questions that we've really been asking that was years yeah. ago but like th- those are questions we've really been asking I think more recently oh my god that's so wise yeah can he do an event can we come yeah, and listen oh, to oh him? my god you would you would love him so like he is he's like a little Buddha like he's just so fun and actually he really like he we we made him get a smartphone I think about a year ago he still had his Nokia um, and, and he's so gassed because we we, we <laughs> My mother and my sister and I have like a um, WhatsApp group. And we're like, oh, you'll have to join. He's like, I couldn't think of anything worse. (laughs) (laughs) So he's really kind of able to just avoid it. That's so funny. But I I am curious how you feel about the fact that, you know, because your full-time job is to write. Like Mm. you are a writer, you are a novelist. Mm. The fact that we do have to kind of wave the flag and like be the poster for the book sometimes you know like with my first book I understood that I had to go on a publicity trail and I understood that I had to promote it but I know I've I've spoken to people like Jesse Burton in the past who were like 
you know, sometimes the book is the book. Yeah. And that's my job. Yeah. And actually, do we have to be like the walking, talking brand as well? I know. Um, I just did an event with uh, Cecilia Hearn last week and someone in the audience was asking her, um, which I think she had a lot of, particularly in her early career, about, I suppose, people assuming that she was her characters and we were we were just discussing that. And, and I think we both agreed that, you know, if you... If you were a musician and you got up on stage and you, you know, I don't know, played your latest album, you wouldn't have to sit on a chair afterwards and discuss kind of what it meant and, you know, what the significance of it is. Like, you know, that the work would be able to um, be able to speak for itself. Um, and, and I often, I suppose particularly with Idol, because... You know, I suppose at at the heart of it, you have Samantha, who we've talked about, and her her best friend Lisa, um, and this night that they shared together when they were teenagers, and and Sam sees it as the most, you know, this incredible sexual awakening, and and the closest that she's ever been to Lisa, and 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 Lisa is now accusing her of assault, um, and that kind of conflict between their memories, and sort of as she says, um. She says, "So, like when you're when you're dealing with issues that are very complicated and very complex, it's always interesting to talk to readers and to hear, like I suppose, the way in which they read that story, the way in which they interpreted that story, um, and I suppose which character resonates them and, and with them and why." I, I I think sometimes there's sort of like this expectation that I will have the answers, you know, that I will come and say, this is, and I'm like, no, I I don't have the answers. These, this is a very nuanced um, and very difficult subject and I'm trying to present it in that way. And it's really not up to me to say, this is what I think, you know, that yeah. it's really up to the reader to to come to it on their own terms and sort of, I suppose, interrogate their own responses to it. And and it can feel a bit, I don't know, I I, I just sometimes I'm like, here's the book, read the book, tell me yeah. what you think of the yeah. book, you know. It's like that death of the author thing that I feel yes. like I learned at university. Yes, by first year university. Yeah, in that big <laughs> anthology. Yes. Because I, I actually went on a podcast recently and it was about Olive and I didn't say a word. It, the interviewer was just telling me what they thought of the book and then and then the interview was over. Right. And I was like, okay. Like, it was weird because I was like, you didn't need me here. Yeah, you, you could have just discussed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. But I was okay with that. Yes, that's great, though. I mean, firstly, that sounds kind of delightful. You just <laughs> yeah. sit back and go, this is very relaxing. But I was so, I was just flattered because I was like, you've got enough. The fact that you're so in, you know, you've got so much to say about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> it's also so, like... I, you know, I know even with Only Ever Yours, which was my first novel, which actually also they're kind of, I think Only Ever Yours and Idol are almost sister novels in that they both have at the heart of them like this obsessive teenage um, uh, friendship, which I suppose for me is really, I wouldn't even say fun, but I, I'm almost compelled to write it because I went to an all girls school and, you know, I suppose I know those friendships. I, I had one that we like broke up, I suppose, when when it was um, when I was seventeen, and honestly, I've never been more heartbroken. And so, I suppose for me, it's almost like trying to kind of write all of that out. Mm-hmm. Um, but in only ever yours with that with that friendship, um, so many people read that as queer, um, and I suppose like that wasn't my intention. But I think again, what's annoying about being an author is that you have to say when people ask you, you go, "Well, oh, actually, that wasn't my intention." Whereas I think it would be so much more fun to just be like, just read it whatever way. You, like if you see yourself in it, or if this is how you read it, then that is completely valid. Yeah. Um, and I suppose it, 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 sometimes you hear authors who are so hold such tight control 
over their creations or over their books that they're almost like not offended but they almost get kind of like no that's wrong that's absolutely wrong this is how and I'm like I don't know like I feel like the the fun thing about being a reader is being able to insert yourself into the narrative and I don't know kind of make it your own in a way I know what you mean because I think it would be quite normal to feel protective of your characters mm. like you know when people are like people are unlikable and then yeah. you kind of think, you're like excuse me I think they're likable you know that sort of thing <laughs> but I remember Glennon Doyle saying once that if you are a writer or a creator then there comes a point where you can't babysit the book anymore mm. or the thing like oh, you can't great. you can't like wander around checking it's okay yeah. you kind of have to be like okay it's out in the world now <laughs> going into everyone's <laughs> house that's reading it while they read it and go no no that's not what I meant nope nope <laughs> On that topic of kind of social media boundaries, like your books, I loved Only Ever Yours and the, it was a dystopian world, wasn't mm-hmm. it? I remember reading that and being like, oh my God, you're just so good at this. <laughs> and, you know, these worlds that you create. And, and like, I'm guessing that you can't get these meaty ideas for a novel mm. as they all are with your books when mm. you're kind of scrolling. Mm. Like there needs to come a time surely where you like get the light bulb moment. Is that, how does it happen? I mean, it it happens so differently with, with each book. Um, and I remember before I wrote Idol, um, I was chatting with my, I had called in to see my mother and we were sitting and I said, oh, I haven't really, I haven't had an, uh, I haven't had an idea for a new book. And she said, well, okay, you know what you need to do. And I said, I do know what I need to do. And that is a lot of daydreaming, a lot of walking, a lot of sea swimming and everyone's you know process will be different. Um, I remember Marion Keyes telling me that sometimes when she's stuck that she will lie on her bed with like nothing near her, like no phone or anything and sort of just allow her mind to slightly drift almost that she's near sleeping. And then she said something will come. So like, wow. I think everybody has like a different way of trying to kind of, I suppose that you're almost trying to get into your body Um I think Cecilia Hearn said that it was sometimes with the, when she's doing colouring in books. Like I th- everyone has, I suppose, a different way of sort of tapping into that. Um, showering, walking. I do find walking great. Um, but uh, yeah, so whatever, whatever it is. So I sort of did that for about a month. And then this idea came, you know. So sometimes Amazing. it's like you have to make space for it. But then other times it'll just come like, you know, it'll just come unannounced. And you're like, oh, my God. Amazing. Like I remember with Only Every Yours, that came to me almost like a vision. And I remember thinking well, this is brilliant, assuming that every other idea will come the same way. And sadly, nothing has ever since. And I was like, damn it, that was so easy. (laughs) That's interesting. Yeah, to hear that it comes in different ways. Yeah. Yeah. So you've always got to be like paying attention in a way. Yes. And listening and, you know, like my like my parents are quite funny because they're like very involved like because they have the shop they're always hearing like really interesting stories and I'm like okay well tell me anything that you heard or if you read anything or send me articles or you know whatever and like so people do that all the time and and sometimes something will like a, a, t- a line out of it you might think oh what you know and then you it's you're almost like a magpie you know like you're picking something here and you're picking something else here and 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 then you remember a conversation that you had with a friend or something you overheard on a train and and you kind of put it all together and then put a new spin on it so it's just creation process is a, is a is a strange is a strange <laughs> one it's 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 difficult at times i think to try and explain that mm-hmm. um, and you know this as well but like trying to explain that to someone else because it just sounds so odd and airy and I I actually feel very grateful I suppose that I have people around me who have a real 
I mean, my parents aren't creative and like my partner is a, is, is a writer, but is a journalist. But I think I have a real appreciation for, oh yes, daydreaming or just sitting there looking out the window is actually part of your of your job. Because to anyone else, that sounds incredibly self-indulgent, you know. But that's not, that's just at the beginning. Like, I promise. Like, once you're in it, it's hard work. But like, I think at the beginning, when you're trying to get those ideas, you have to be open to inspiration. Yeah, it's true. It's true. I'm kind of realising now with me that it's it, the hard work alone isn't enough. As mm. in, like, I can sit there for hours, but there needs to be, like, something else. Yeah. I don't know what that something else is. Yeah. Probably something weirdly spiritual. Or, uh, yes. I don't know. Uh, no, absolutely. And I think, like, a, a part of it is, and I suppose a lot of people have rituals, like, whether it's lighting a candle. And, like, I often will sort of say, like... I mean, a prayer sounds very religious, but almost like an incantation at the beginning, just saying, you know, I'm open. You know, I'm open. Please use me. Like, I really sound very like, please use you. Know, what is that? Um, use me as a channel for your peace. I am a vessel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not quite like that. But, you know, like it was, it's just trying to be open to working with something unknown. Um, and and again, not always. Like some days it feels like I'm channeling it. Like some days I can barely keep up. My my hands can barely keep up with the words. And then other days it really feels like it's just me by myself. Um, and often at the end, you can't really tell the difference. You know what I mean? I don't think anyone would say, oh, here was like an inspired passage or here was a passage where like every word felt like it kind of cost me something. Um, <laughs> so I suppose it's, it's trying to, but the days where you feel like you're in flow is... Ugh, Oh, those days are great yeah. mm. that's why you're like this is why I do it yes exactly yeah. it's a bit like I think anyone who's ever done yoga will appreciate this or, or actually therapy um, that you, you go regularly because you never know which day the magic is going to happen you're like which day where you'll hit on some sort of childhood experience that was really formative or, or the day where in yoga where you feel like completely sort of in tune with your body and your mind and, and with writing you have to go to your desk every day because you have no idea which day is going to be the day where oh here's magic is about to happen mm, so yeah. I think it's it's showing up every day being consistent doing the work every day and being ready for for when that um, I suppose that inspiration or that that will arrive you know yeah totally I have a very basic question um, which is that it just seems like a really great time to be an Irish author like and part of the Irish writing community, like I feel like jealous almost that it's like I want to be Irish. Like, <laughs> come, come live in Ireland. You'd have to leave your very beautiful house though. So I don't oh, know, maybe yeah. maybe stay. <laughs> but I think my surname might get me so far. I'm yes. not sure. Emma Gannon is a very Irish sounding name. Yeah. Yeah. And the Irish media are very welcoming. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, does it feel like this sort of magical time or, or has it always been? And we're just now putting a bit of um, a light on it. I think, I mean... I suppose there's always been a great tradition. You know, there's a great there's a great heritage, you know. Mm-hmm. Um and like I, I definitely think that when I was when I was starting to write, I felt very I don't know, it felt like a very close knit community. It felt very welcoming, it felt very friendly. Um and I suppose, you know, now obviously with um uh, since Sally, um, Sally Rooney, and and Nisha Dolan, and 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 Megan Nolan, and 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 there's there's a few, and actually I always find it really funny because they they always talk about the Irish writers who went to Trinity and studied English, and I'm never included, and I always I'm like I actually also went to Trinity <laughs> to study English, but I think I'm I'm about I think I'm five years older um, than Sally, so it's like it's fun, you know it's kind of like Sally and everyone um, uh, behind her, um, but it's it's 
wonderful. I mean, I was actually talking about this recently because I just thought, you know, the most celebrated, you, you know, young author today is an Irish woman. You know, like Sally, like you know, it is like people are so excited about her work. And when um, her last novel was published, it was such a, a publishing event. Um, and I do think there's just something so wonderful about that because I, I often and and I suppose as well, you know, she came she came from Mayo. Um, you know, her parents don't work in publishing. I always think as well that there's something very freeing about seeing someone who just makes it because of talent or and also a bit of luck and you know all of those other things but I think for other people um, from small towns um, from middle class families who maybe don't have those connections in publishing to see someone like that succeed on that on that level I think there's something it sort of expands your mind in a way where it feels like it could be possible for you as well and mm. and I think that level of permission being given to other young Irish women um that can only be a good thing. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, because aside from the Sally Rooney phenomenon, I was just looking at my bookshelf the other day and realised like literally all of the stuff I'm excited about at the moment was pretty much Irish <laughs> okay, women. Okay, you do have to move. You're so sorry. I was just like, this is, you know, it is incredible and very exciting and just a joy to get to consume brilliant books that yeah. keep coming out. Yeah. Um, talking of which, and I never ask this because I'm never like, what are you working on next? How having just released like an incredible book that is only just, you know, just yeah. come out. But I did read that you're on to the next. Do you, is, that, is that how you work? Well, I remember when, before Only Ever Yours came out, I had had a conversation with um, the author, David Mitchell, who lives in my um, hometown. And he, I mean, he's just such a, lovely man but he said to me you know I've a, if I have a piece of advice for you he said I would be working on the new book when the when the let's say the, the other one is coming out and he said because if it does very well you're going to be very busy and it can kind of be hard to get back into it and he said and if it does badly or if it's not even does badly but it's just if it's poorly reviewed or you know whatever and he said then it can also you can feel quite disheartened and it can be hard to start something else and he said that I suppose there's a sense of I mean he definitely didn't say this this is such a cliche but like I suppose you don't feel like you don't have all your eggs in one basket you know that you're like well I have a new project on something that I'm I'm excited about but it doesn't give much time for for time off I will say um, he's obviously incredibly productive but uh, yeah I don't know so I am I am working on something else now I will say he is right in that like the reviews for Idol have been like I mean it's, it's hard to say this about your own work but like have been really probably the best of my career and like there's a lot of this is her best work to date and it's funny see, I don't read reviews but like you'll see like you know they're sent to you and like in the headline it's like this or whatever and the reason why I don't read reviews is because the noise can be very difficult to whether they're good or bad to kind of get back to um to get back to work but even when people have said that or when I'm doing interviews and they'll say oh this I think this is your best book already I'm worried like I'm actually worried you know because it's that kind of sense of oh god can this new book live up to it and um, is this new book any good is it too similar is it not you know maybe it's not similar enough um so it can be it can be so tricky so I I suppose a, a lot of the time with writing I feel as if you almost have to like 
create this bubble around you where you don't listen to any of the noise. Again, my dad at the start of my career said, if you believe the good reviews, you have to believe the bad reviews as well. So I try and sort of ignore it as much as I can but sometimes it'll kind of um, it'll it'll creep in um, but yeah so th- that's kind of a long-winded way of saying that I was really enjoying the the new book until Idol came out and now I'm like <laughs> oh my god what if it's not as good <laughs> it's funny because I've got to say Idol was my favourite experience okay. reading for, for a long time but I don't want to cheat on your other books which I've also loved so when people are like oh it's my favourite book of yours I'm like is that even a compliment I know so, I mean, or they say like I, I, sometimes people are very funny I'm not sure if you've had this Emma they will say anything they'll say oh my god I love this one I really didn't like your last one I thought that I just I just didn't think it was your best work but this one you're like Jesus Christ like it's like if you said to someone okay I, you're, this child is so cute I mean I thought your last child was a bit dodgy but this one it's beautiful great work I had a friend that said that she was like I really enjoyed Olive I thought it was really good god it's so much better than your first book I mean that oh was not Christ. your best was it and I was like, like why are you saying this I think they don't under, I, I, I think there's like a feeling of that it's separate to you or that it's it, that, that I don't know that you wouldn't take it and I suppose we're, you try not to take it too personally, but you do, I think, or you just, you really have to roll with the punches. People are so funny. Yeah. And often I, sometimes I wonder if it's wanting to make conversation or do you, do you know what I mean? That it's not even that they're trying to insult you, but that they want to just say something. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. just trash, <laughs> just trash some of your work. Thanks yeah. a lot. Yeah. Maybe they think your, your skin is so thick. You just yeah. need a little bit of a friendly punch. But, um, no, I read. I definitely read into that and assumed that what you meant by getting on with the next one is sort of like get back to the work. At the end of yes. the day, it's about the writing and yes. about sitting down and doing what you love. Yes, and I think you know this year was the first year I had ever. Um, I, I gave a creative writing course. I was a writer in residence at a at a Maynooth University at home. And that was such an interesting experience because like I've never I've never given a creative writing class, but I've also never taken a creative writing class. So I really had no understanding of what that kind of format would be like. And and a lot of it was really just trying to give the students like confidence, like just being like, yes, you can do this. And 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 you're if you want to do this, then you have almost like a right to do it, you know? Um, and that it's okay to take up space and like, you know, um all of those things. But actually I think a lot of it was trying to say, you know, when you're a debut or or if you're an aspiring writer and you're working on your first book and there's so much like of your energy is kind of thinking about will this get published and is it any good and and um and I think that kind of obsession with like first of all it's getting an agent and secondly it's then it's getting published and then it's wanting the book to sell so many copies and wanting it to chart in this position and there's always kind of these new milestones that you want to you want to reach and I keep saying to them but you know all of that is so secondary to actually the fact is that you the reason why you want to write is because you want to write and and it is the work is the only thing that you can control you cannot control how it's reviewed you cannot control how it's read as you said you know even with that Dan Doyle quote you can't control any of that the only thing that you can I suppose come back to time and time again is the work Um, and I think that if you if you prioritise that over everything else I don't know I suppose I, I do think it'll I think it will serve you well 
What a great note to end on. So lovely. Thank you. And um, and you deserve to be basking in the glory of all oh, of the amazing reviews for Idol. It really you. is fantastic. Thank and you so much, Emma. You are so skilled at what you do. And um, I just, I absolutely loved it. And oh, I can't wait for you. everyone else to read it and do the book clubs and pour yeah, wine Yeah, oh my God, please. I want to hear, <laughs> like, tell, like, tell me the tales from the book clubs. I want to hear all of it. <laughs> thank you so much. Oh, thank you, Emma.